On December 4, 1872, Captain David Morehouse stood proudly on deck of his ship, the De Gratia. It was a Canadian sailing vessel transporting cargo to the port city of Gibraltar. They were more than 400 miles from the coast of Portugal, and though near the Azores Islands, the crew had a long way to go. It was cold out and visibility was poor, but Morehouse had already weathered weeks of storms and was grateful for the calm. Suddenly, he heard one of his crew members cry out. Morehouse turned. John Johnson was behind the wheel, but pointing at something out over the horizon. It was another ship, which wasn't unusual, but something about it seemed very wrong. Morehouse pulled out his long glass and took a further look. The boat was a brigantine not unlike his own, but there weren't many sails drawn for how light the wind was that day. The ship was also not sailing smoothly. Instead, it bucked against the current in a strange, rhythmic, rocking motion. The ship was essentially sailing in a circle. Morehouse signaled to the ship to see if he could get a response, but he got none. Then he sent his first mate, Oliver DeVoe, and two other men to investigate. He wanted to make sure the ship wasn't damaged nor the crew injured. When DeVoe and the others climbed on board, they found almost zero indication of anything amiss. The ship, named the Mary Celeste, was perfectly intact and appeared almost brand new. There was some water in the hull, but not so much that the ship was in any danger of sinking. There was no lifeboat, nor any indication that one had been lowered. The galley was full of food and water, and the cabins still held the crew's personal effects. But most importantly, the ship had been essentially sailing itself. There was absolutely nobody on board, as if the crew had vanished into thin air. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know, but in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. This is our first episode on the Mary Celeste, an American trade ship that was nicknamed the Ghost Ship, when everyone on board disappeared without a trace. This episode will dig into the rocky history of the Mary Celeste and the stories of those on board the ill-fated voyage, including Captain Briggs' tragic family history. We'll also walk through the abandoned Mary Celeste and explore the legacy she left behind. Next episode, in part two, we'll investigate a few possible theories about what really happened to the ship and all of her crew. 
There was initially suspicion of fraud or even mutiny. Maybe weather. Maybe a pirate attack. Or perhaps it was something rotten down below. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speculation about the Mary Celeste ran rampant after her crew's disappearance in 1872. But this wasn't the first unusual and troubling incident in her history, leading some to wonder whether the ship was cursed from the very start. Before she was the Mary Celeste, the ship was actually christened the Amazon. She was a brigantine, a two-masted sailing ship built by Canadian Joshua Dewis in the fall of 1860. Dewis was a 45-year-old shipbuilder with only one goal in mind, to make money. Global trade was booming in the mid-19th century, relying on ships to carry cargo across the Atlantic. The American Civil War would soon cause a shortage in the market, so for Dewis, building the Amazon was a golden opportunity. He financed it with the help of a business consortium and some family money which meant that she was owned by nine different men holding 64 shares total. Dewis was under pressure to turn a profit. On the outside, she was a handsome ship, built from the finest timber. She had a smooth hull and a single deck. Her design was simple yet elegant. When finished, she measured just under 100 feet long. On the inside, however, she was designed for maximum profitability. The engineering was designed so that she could be manned by a small crew. The cabins were small and unpainted. Meanwhile, the cargo hold was massive. And by the summer of 1861, she was ready to set sail. On June 10th, Dewis completed the Amazon's paperwork and secured his first contract to haul timber from Nova Scotia to London. All he needed was a captain and he knew just the man for the job. Robert McClellan was a young and newly married skipper, but also one of the ship's co-owners. 
When Dewis asked McClellan to captain the Amazon on her maiden voyage, McClellan readily agreed. He wanted to make sure that his investment paid off. But just before the Amazon was to set sail, McClellan contracted what he thought was a minor cold. Like many sailors, he believed that the salt air on board would cure him and insisted on traveling. But almost immediately after supervising the cargo load, he was struck with a very high fever. On June 19th, the Amazon's first captain passed away from pneumonia. Dewis barely had time to mourn. The ship was due in London in just over a month, and he needed another captain. He quickly hired John Nutting Parker, and the Amazon finally set sail. They made an initial stop in Eastport, Maine, but upon leaving the harbor, the ship hit a row of fishing weirs. The underside of the ship was so badly scraped that it had to dock for a few days' worth of repairs. Costs were already eating into profits, and the ship hadn't even made it to the open waters of the Atlantic. Luckily, the rest of the journey was uneventful. Conditions were tough and unpredictable like all voyages, but no other incidents were reported, and the Amazon finally reached London. The crew unloaded the timber and picked up a new shipment of cargo to transport to Lisbon, Portugal. With Captain Parker still at the helm, the Amazon traveled through the English Channel. But when it reached the Strait of Dover, the narrowest section, it collided with another vessel. The other ship sank almost immediately. Parker and his crew had to rescue some of the other sailors and bring them back to Dover, England. But the Amazon was also significantly damaged. It took two weeks to undergo all the repairs needed, but from then on, her fortunes seemed to change for the better. At least for a bit. Captain Parker remained in charge for the next two years. He took on various lucrative trade jobs in the West Indies, and he and his consortium were pleased with the profits. But in 1863, Parker left to take command of a much larger brig. The Amazon was once again without a leader. Not long after, William Thompson, another one of the ship's original shareholders, took over captain duties. Under Captain Thompson's command, the Amazon traveled some of the busiest trade routes in the world, including the West Indies and the Mediterranean. Dewis and his partners kept her at sea almost constantly to continue maintaining profits. But tensions started to rise in 1867. Journalist Brian Hicks suggests that a small dip in profits left Thompson at odds with Dewis and some of the investors. They put added pressure on him. Towards the end of the year, he was forced to take a job sailing down the eastern coast of Canada in order to pick up coal. It was a risky venture. The region was prone to violent winter storms known as nor'easters, and many insurance companies refused to cover any damages sustained during that time of year. A few days into the journey, Thompson and the Amazon got caught in a nasty storm off the coast of Cape Breton Island in Nova Scotia. The ship was no match for the driving winds and large waves, and she crashed into the shore. The crew thankfully survived, 
but the ship was so badly damaged that they abandoned her on the beach. Some speculated that Captain Thompson purposely wrecked the ship to get back at Dewis and the investors, but there was no proof. It was likely an honest mistake. Either way, Thompson's tenure with the Amazon was officially over. Dewis and his investors couldn't afford to repair the ship, and they sold what was left of her to another businessman in November 1867. Over the next two years, the ship underwent a major restoration, but changed hands twice. It was as if nobody knew what to do with her, or could manage the finances of maintaining such a risky endeavor. But in October 1869, she was put up for auction yet again. Only this time, she had been renamed the Mary Celeste. She was bought by J.H. Winchester & Company, a New York-based company led by James H. Winchester. Winchester was a sea captain turned broker and had a wide range of experience negotiating trade and charter jobs. For the next few years, the Mary Celeste successfully ran trade routes in the West Indies. But in 1872, she was starting to show her age. Winchester decided it was time for a major overhaul. He reportedly spent over $10,000 on restorations, the equivalent of over $200,000 today. He added a second deck and expanded the main captain's cabin. The exterior had been stripped down and then rebuilt and recalked. To an outside observer, the hull looked brand new. But the biggest upgrade of all was an increase in the size of the hold, one that allowed for an additional 75 tons of cargo. She was four feet longer and taller, which made her heavier and slightly more unstable. But the extra cargo room meant extra profits. Not to mention she was designed to be a tad faster, which meant more trips. All the Mary Celeste needed was a new captain, and Winchester found one in 37-year-old Benjamin Spooner Briggs. Briggs had been attracted by the expansion of the cabins, which allowed him to bring his wife and small daughter on trips. He was also able to buy a one-third interest in the ship, which would help him get closer to retirement. By October of 1872, Winchester had found the newly redesigned Mary Celeste her first job. She would haul 1,700 barrels of alcohol from New York to Genoa, Italy, with Captain Briggs at the helm. On November 7, 1872, Captain Briggs, his wife, 30-year-old Sarah, their two-year-old daughter, Sophia, and seven crewmen set sail from New York. To Winchester, the extensive restorations and change in ownership symbolized a fresh start. But still, she had a troubled past, and history was bound to repeat itself over the Atlantic. Coming up, we dive into the tragic past of Captain Briggs, the man who captained the doomed Mary Celeste. Now back to the story.
The Mary Celeste had a cursed history, but in 1872, she was completely refurbished by new owner J.H. Winchester and ready to make a second debut. Newly appointed Captain Benjamin Briggs was proud to have partial ownership of the vessel. Years of sailing had taught him not to be superstitious, but Briggs came from a long line of sailors that had endured a fair number of tragedies of their own. Briggs' father, Nathan Briggs, was also a sailing captain, as was his father before him. After losing his first wife and child, Nathan turned to the ocean as a place of refuge. This was something that would stay with him even long after he remarried. He and his second wife, Sophia, had six children together and raised all of them for a life at sea. Benjamin and his four brothers, Nathan, Oliver, James, and Zenas, were trained to become sailors. Maria, the only daughter, married a sailor and often accompanied him on voyages. Benjamin spent most of his childhood in Marion, Massachusetts. The town played host to a thriving maritime economy, complete with a dozen shipyards and salt mills. This meant that when Benjamin was a teenager, he went straight to work at sea. He first served as a deckhand, scrubbing the deck, cleaning the cabins, and helping out wherever he was needed. Benjamin felt at home working on the ocean, like his father and brothers. By the time he was 17, he was on a boat more often than he was at home. But in 1855, Benjamin's older brother contracted yellow fever while out on a job. Three days before his boat reached land, he passed away. He was only 21 years old. Benjamin was deeply saddened by his older brother's death. But it was also his first lesson that life at sea could be harsh and unforgiving. Every sailor understood the risks they were taking, but did it anyway. It was part of the job. Benjamin refused to let this event scare him. He just kept working. At age 20, Nathan Briggs hired Benjamin to serve as a mate on a large schooner called Hope. But the young Briggs received no special treatment for being the captain's son. He was treated like every other sailor on board, made to work hard over long hours. Benjamin took this as a compliment. On hope, Benjamin made his first trip around Cape Horn, a small rocky headland off the coast of Chile. A sailor's first voyage around the Cape was considered a rite of passage, and the trip cemented Benjamin's love of the sea. He felt like a real sailor with a bright future ahead. After Briggs' voyage on Hope, he left to work on a ship called Seafoam. Briggs climbed the ranks over the next several years and eventually became captain. But in November 1859, tragedy struck the Briggs family once again. Benjamin's 28-year-old sister, Maria, was accompanying her husband on a voyage off the coast of North Carolina when their ship collided with another vessel. Both Maria and her husband were swept overboard and died. 24-year-old Benjamin mourned his sister, but if anything, a second tragedy only hardened him further. The loss wasn't going to stop his career. He was born to be a sailor, and didn't want it any other way. 
For several years after, he helmed a three-masted ship called Forest King across the Atlantic. But life at sea became lonely for Benjamin Briggs, and he found himself often thinking about Sarah Cobb, whom he'd known since he was a child. On September 9, 1862, 27-year-old Benjamin Briggs married 20-year-old Sarah. Sarah's father, a reverend, performed the small ceremony and the couple honeymooned by sailing the Mediterranean. This voyage was the first of many on which Sarah accompanied her husband. Life at sea wasn't ideal, but she preferred it to being separated from her husband for long periods of time. Sarah was known for her love of music and would often bring a small accordion called a melodeon on board. She and Benjamin sang religious songs to the other sailors as entertainment. In September 1865, Benjamin and Sarah had their first child, a son named Arthur. They returned to Marion to spend time with Benjamin's parents, but when Arthur became old enough, he too went to sea. Benjamin preferred traveling with his toddler to the alternative. When he didn't travel with his family, he missed them terribly. And sometimes, when Benjamin was gone for months, he'd return home to a son who no longer recognized him. 35-year-old Benjamin was already feeling the strain of life at sea when on June 28, 1870, his father, Nathan, passed away. Benjamin returned to Marion to help his brothers get their late father's business affairs in order. A few months later, Benjamin's youngest brother, Zenas, was at sea when he died suddenly of yellow fever. Benjamin strongly considered taking a break from his career, and shortly after Zena's death, he might have finally gotten the motivation he needed. Toward the end of October, Benjamin and Sarah welcomed their second child, a little girl named Sophia. She was named after Benjamin's mom, but to avoid confusion, the family called her Sophie for short. Benjamin knew deep down that it was important to be home in Marion. He loved life at sea, but he understood that he couldn't do it forever. He began to plan for his retirement. Using an inheritance from his late father, Benjamin started looking for more business opportunities that would allow him to stay home and settle down. And in 1872, the perfect deal fell into his lap. Family friend James H. Winchester was restoring a ship named the Mary Celeste and was willing to sell a one-third share to Benjamin Briggs if he was willing to take command. It wasn't quite the stay-at-home opportunity he had hoped, but the restorations were enticing. The increased cargo space meant higher potential profits, and the enlargement of the main cabin meant that Briggs could take his wife and children with him. And if the ship did well, he would make big profits off the Mary Celeste, more than enough to retire. Benjamin Briggs gladly accepted the offer. After restorations were complete, Winchester lined up a job for the Mary Celeste to deliver 1,700 barrels of industrial alcohol to Genoa, Italy. After much deliberation, Benjamin and his wife, Sarah, decided to take Sophie along, but not their oldest, Arthur. 
Arthur was already in school by then, and they decided to have him stay home with his grandmother instead. Benjamin said a brief goodbye to his family on October 19, 1872. He traveled to New York to prepare for the voyage, and they would join him within a week. At the time, New York was the nation's largest port. Benjamin had spent much time in and out of the port already and ran into many acquaintances in the city. One of those was David Morehouse, a captain of a ship called the De Gratia. The interaction was likely brief, but friendly. Little did either of them know it wouldn't be the last time their ships crossed paths. When Benjamin saw the newly designed Mary Celeste for the first time, he was struck by her beauty. She was sleek and dark. One could call her design minimalist or sporty. And it was his ship now, or at least he owned a piece of her. No longer was he just the captain. He was a proud owner. But there was one thing wrong with her. She had only one lifeboat. It's unclear exactly why this was, but Winchester later said that one of the two had been damaged. He had warned Benjamin that this made it dangerous for his wife and daughter to travel, so Benjamin asked for a second. But there was no evidence that a second was ever added. While supervising the cargo loading, Benjamin finally got a chance to meet his crew. He already knew his first mate, a man named Albert G. Richardson. Richardson was a 28-year-old Civil War veteran who served with the infantry of the Maine Coast Guard. He had sailed under Benjamin before and was reportedly a man of excellent character. But as for the rest of the crew, Benjamin had not previously worked with them. The second mate was a man named Andrew Gilling, a 25-year-old from New York. The steward and cook was Edward William Head, a 23-year-old who had just recently married and left his wife in Brooklyn. There were also four German workers who were paid only $30 a month, or the modern-day equivalent of $630. It was a small amount of money for a lot of work, but at least two of them were using the voyage in order to return home. Briggs observed that his crew was mostly quiet, but diligent and hardworking. To him, he had absolutely nothing to worry about. On October 27th, Sarah and Sophie Briggs arrived in New York. On November 2nd, the crew finished loading the cargo. On the morning of November 7th, 1872, the Mary Celeste was ready to depart. Benjamin Briggs had more faith in the journey than ever before. He couldn't have known that just a month after setting sail, he would join in the long line of Briggs family tragedies at sea. Coming up, we'll discuss the harrowing journey and discovery of the Mary Celeste. Now, back to the story. Captain Benjamin Briggs and the Mary Celeste set sail on November 7, 1872. But from what remains of the ship's logs, we know that Briggs and his crew did not have an easy journey. Briggs, his wife and daughter, and the crew barely made it out of New York's harbor. 
Not long after departing, the weather became so treacherous that the captain could barely see across the channel. The Mary Celeste and her passengers waited patiently on Staten Island, and after a couple of days, the weather finally cleared. Briggs was able to steer the ship through a narrow shortcut east of the main channel, avoiding any crashes like the ones the ship had endured a decade prior. Then they were off to the vast Atlantic, carrying over 1,700 barrels of industrial alcohol to Genoa, Italy. It was a hefty and valuable load of cargo. Assuming the trip was completed safely, Briggs would make a pretty penny. But the winter of 1872 was not smooth sailing. Instead, it brought some of the worst storms recorded in history. For nearly three weeks, Briggs' logs note that he sailed through heavy winds and rain. The crew didn't get a single break. That all changed on November 24th, when the weather finally cleared up. On that day, Briggs and the Mary Celeste were due west from the Azores Islands. On November 25th, there were no notes as to anything abnormal about the weather or the ship. Then the log went blank. On December 4th, 1872, almost a month after departing from New York, the Mary Celeste was found drifting in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean by Captain Morehouse and the crew of the sailing ship De Gratia. At first glance, the ship appeared to be empty. Captain Morehouse feared that someone might be injured, so he ordered his first mate, Oliver DeVoe, and second mate, John Wright, to board the Mary Celeste. When DeVoe and Wright first arrived on the ship, they found very little signs of damage. One of the sails was tattered, but the hull looked brand new and the deck pristine. What was odd was that neither the wheel nor the rudder had been tied down. And so each time a wave hit, the rudder would thrash against the wheel, and then the wheel would turn the rudder, moving the Mary Celeste in this strange, rodeo bull-like pattern. Even stranger was that there was absolutely nobody on board. DeVoe and Wright headed down below to see if there was any indication that the ship might have been flooded. There, they measured three and a half feet of water, but they weren't necessarily alarmed. It was normal for ships of her size to take on some water, most of which was easily pumped out. Plus, it seemed like somebody had already had the same thought. The ship's sounding rod, used to measure the amount of water in a ship, had already been brought out. As DeVoe and Wright looked through the rest of the cabins, they found nothing out of place. The galley contained months' worth of food and provisions. Three trunks remained in the crew cabin, filled with personal effects. In the captain's cabin, many belongings remained. A dress hung over a chair. A pile of children's toys and clothes sat untouched in a corner. Sarah's melodeon looked in perfect condition. And one of the beds still had the form of a small child imprinted into the covers as if Briggs' daughter had just faded away. The 
Though there was no indication that a lifeboat had ever been on board, DeVoe and Wright had no choice but to believe that the crew had abandoned the ship. There could be no other explanation, as far as they were concerned. They returned to the De Gratia and relayed their findings to Captain Morehouse. DeVoe also noted that he had seen a large amount of barrels labeled alcohol in the cargo hold and believed them to be worth an incredible amount of money. In those days, and even today, salvage is a universally accepted law of the sea. If any ship should find a ship wrecked or abandoned, they can bring it into the nearest port and claim a small reward for her finding. Oliver DeVoe was highly interested in salvaging the Mary Celeste. Per his calculations, the total payout could be between forty dollars or $50,000, worth over $800,000 today. Split between the eight men of the De Gratia, this was a life-changing amount of money. But Morehouse was not sure it was a good idea. Salvaging another ship carried a great number of risks. He'd have to split his crew between the two boats, and given the weather they'd already endured, he wasn't sure his men could handle it. But DeVoe remained insistent. He offered to man the Mary Celeste to port himself. Ultimately, Morehouse agreed. Because both ships were undermanned, the Mary Celeste and De Gratia traveled slowly. But on December 13, 1872, the Mary Celeste arrived, captainless, in Gibraltar. The news first broke in the States on December 21st, just before Christmas. The New Bedford Evening Standard wrote that the brig was picked up derelict and that many were concerned as to the fate of Captain Briggs, his wife Sarah, and daughter Sophie. Benjamin Briggs' older son, Arthur Briggs, was staying with his grandmother in New England at the time. The news brought devastation to the family, who had already dealt with their fair share of tragedies. Some of the information in the article was incorrect. The reporters had mistaken the date of departure for the Mary Celeste and referred to her as damaged, though she wasn't. But as the weeks went by and Arthur's father, mother, and baby sister remained missing, the young Briggs was hit hard by the loss. He would never know what happened to his family at sea. For years, researchers have tried to come up with possible explanations for what really happened. The easy theory was that Briggs had ordered his crew to abandon the ship, fearing she might sink. But Briggs was a very experienced sailor who wouldn't have been frightened by three and a half feet of water. Some proposed that the Mary Celeste was actually way off course due to a broken chronometer. And when Briggs realized that he was lost, he and his crew tried to reach the nearest island by lifeboat. Others believed that the alcohol underneath leaked out and caused a nasty smell. Wanting to give his crew a break, Briggs had all aboard leave the ship temporarily to air her out. But when the weather changed, they were unable to get back on board and became lost. And finally, others believe that foul play must have been involved. They thought the De Gratia crew had a story that was just too good to be true.
Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We'll be back on Thursday with part two of the Mary Celeste. For more information on Mary Celeste, among the many sources we used, we found Mary Celeste, The Greatest Mystery of the Sea by Paul Begg and Ghost Ship, The Mysterious True Story of the Mary Celeste and Her Missing Crew by Brian Hicks, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast Originals, like Unexplained Mysteries, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Emily Cirillo, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner. <laughs>